The International Association of Near-Death Studies is an organization that supports people who've had a near-death experience or something similar. I wanted to talk to them about the phenomenon of near-death experiences to try to take the spooky out of talking about death. But when I set up to record my interview with Charles Swedrock and Susan Amston, my recording software wouldn't work. According to my next guest, it happens all the time. They say it's the energy from the other side coming through. So much for taking the spooky out, right? Luckily, Susan was able to record on her end. Oh, and as soon as we finished the interview, my recording equipment was working perfectly. I'm Connie Bowman, and today we have a really interesting subject. We're talking near-death experiences. Hi, you guys. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, Connie. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Did you actually start the Association of Near-Death Studies out in Arizona? Oh, no. Uh, I guess that's my question. I do the history, but back in 1975-ish, Raymond Moody published a book, Life After Life, and coined the term near-death experience. Well, at the time, some professionals got together and tried to study it and publish their work, and no one would publish it. So they formed this association. They actually, a little bit of a humorous antidote, they called it the Association for the Scientific Study of Near-Death Phenomena. Well, in 1981, when it came time that Ken Ring took over the reins and he wanted to incorporate, he figured any acronym that started with the letters ASS wasn't going to get the kind of attention they were looking for. <laughs> so, That's funny. So they, funny. they renamed it the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And ever since that time, uh, the late 70s, they've published a quarterly journal of peer review academic studies on this subject. Uh, they started annual conferences a little later after that publish a quarterly newsletter, and another big thing, which is groups around the country and a few internationally where people can get together and share experiences. And that's really what Susan and I do here in Arizona, Tucson, and now in Phoenix. So Raymond Moody was the first to document near-death experiences. The book Heaven is for Real has gotten a lot of press lately. I think a lot of people are familiar with that. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list. And just the subject has fascinated people for quite a while since uh, I know I've read a lot of books about it. Raymond Moody and Damien Brinkley, and I mean, there's, there's a ton of them. But what constitutes a near-death experience? In the uh, early going, when the researchers got together, psychiatrists developed a scale. First thing to be clear about is an individual does not, doesn't have anything to do with the physical condition of the body. The most popular understanding is when somebody has a cardiac arrest or some sort of physical trauma that it's a flatline experience. But people can have them out of meditation or severe emotional trauma. Early documentations of the experience included uh, mountain climbers that would fall and think they were going to die and then, you know, would have a full-blown experience. But psychiatrist Bruce Grayson developed a scale 
It has 16 questions, and they've authenticated the scale over hundreds of studies. So in the hands of an experienced clinician, one of these experiences really can't be faked. So they've done a lot of work to understand what it is, and uh, that Grayson scale can be found on our IANDS website, www.iands.org. Okay, and Susan, you say that you're not an experiencer, but Chuck is, and um, maybe he can talk about talk a little bit about his experience. But you say on your website that some people come to the group as non-experiencers, and then they actually realize that they have had experiences, not necessarily near death, but spiritual experiences. Can you talk about that, Susan? Yes. I would say, estimate maybe we have about 35% near-death experiencers, and then the remaining amount are either seekers or, yeah, they've had experiences through meditation possibly a lot of different ways. And myself, I was going through a difficult time in my life, so I asked the near-death experiencers, how can I experience that divine wisdom and that unconditional love that you do they, it was unanimous, meditation. That was the main point of all of it. So I started meditating regularly, and then I asked them, well, you know, but how, how do I receive the voice? And they told me to ask a question. Duh, you know, I don't know why they yeah. didn't. So, so simple. Go, yeah, and that's when I heard, um, you know, the voice. And it didn't tell me what to do. It just asked me a question. I was considering divorce for several years, and it just asked me, do you have a marriage? Well, that really caused me to think about, yeah, what does marriage mean to me? It's, I thought it was the piece of paper, but I realized it's not just the piece of paper. You can have that signed, but not really still have a marriage. So, yeah, to me it meant communication, respect, and trust. And so, yeah, it's been very helpful. And so since that time has your your relationship with spirit deepened even more? Oh, definitely. Yes, I would say so. And I found it helpful in a lot of different ways. It helps me deal with things in life. Uh, It gives me new ways to look at it through hearing near-death experiences. And actually, Dr. Kenneth Ring termed it the benign virus, how non-experiencers can hear near-death experiencers and it can change their lives for the better. Yeah, well, I feel like just looking at, even if you're a non-experiencer, in quotes, uh, if we can just get past the fear of death, we can go about the business of creating our own heaven on earth, you know, and live our lives to the fullest, I think, because that's the biggie, right? The biggie. Oh, definitely it was for me, because when I was a young child, my mother had died. Well, that was the first funeral I'd ever gone to, and I realized when I would ask the adults in my life, well, what does death mean? And I found that they were struggling with how to answer that to me. So I grew up with this fear of death. Well, believe me, once I've hung out with near-death experiencers and learned from them, they've gotten me over that. I no longer fear death. And it's It's very freeing. freeing. Mm -hmm. Freeing, yeah, I love that. Now, Chuck, can you talk about maybe some of your own experiences uh, when you went through your NDE and and maybe some of the more common experiences that people from the group and elsewhere have have gone through. Yes, I'd be happy to do that. First, I'd like to kind of add a footnote to what Susan was saying. 
to say one of the things we found is you don't want to ride in a car with a near-death experience or driving because they tend not to be that afraid of circumstances or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, so not being afraid of death. <laughs> yeah. Actually, my uh, own near-death experience happened later on in involvement with this subject. I became involved with it very uh, in the early 80s, just hearing an anecdotal account of somebody else's experience and then my most significant experience was it was after the suicide death of a brother and kind of like after the events of the week had passed and we tried to deal with and cope with all of that I was asked somebody who I could confide in you know just telling them how I felt they said well you need to say goodbye to your brother and I realized I hadn't dealt with my feelings around the issue. And so I kind of like Susan did some quiet time and in my mind just sort of asked the question or said goodbye. And I was instantly had an out of body experience where I went back to the home where this had happened. I was taken to the funeral home into the back of the funeral home where I'd never been physically and into the casket because it had been a closed uh, closed casket service when he had uh, used a gun to take his life. And it was like the fear and all that that aroused in me. It was like my body was just convulsing with the fear and the terror. And at the pinnacle of this experience, this calm, soothing voice, male voice, just in my mind, like somebody was standing a few feet away. It's obviously not a thought telepathic I guess it's called but it just said he's not here and this, with that there was total calm uh, just a serenity that's often described in near death experiences which so that's why I say you don't have to be near death in a physical sense to have the elements major elements of a near death experience as it's been called it was with that experience where I lost my fear of death because it was such a profound touching way to get that message. Yeah. yeah. I could just add, yeah, they often talk about these after effects. Oftentimes mm-hmm. people will change jobs. They'll change jobs to one that's more beneficial to humanity. They become more loving. Oftentimes their relationships change. And they'll say that they've become more spiritual but less dogmatically religious. And that certainly happened to me. Good. So people get more in alignment with their spiritual essence. Yes. So how about the other people that have actually, you know, like Daniel Brinkley in his book, I think he was struck by lightning. You know, they all seem to have similar experiences where they see the light, they go through the tunnel, they have the life review. Have you found that in your groups as well? Yeah, there are certain common themes to the experience, but you have to sort of take the unique element out. It's kind of like if we all went through a door from a human perspective and come back into another room and try to describe our experience in the other room, our attention will be in different places. Some people will describe the color, some might describe the furniture or the art on the wall. And so trying to put them together and say that they were in the same place is often difficult just because of their individual perspectives and personalities. But I think mostly it's getting the awareness that they say time and again, there is no death. It's almost instantaneous. If I could share an antidote, Dr. Anthony Sicoria from upstate New York, he's an orthopedic surgeon, 
was at a family picnic and he was speaking on the phone and he just was hanging up the phone when a lightning storm had come up and the lightning struck the line and came down and hit him. And he said he had this awareness of being thrown backwards violently and then this strange sensation of moving forward. Well, his mother-in-law, who was up in the pavilion right next to the phone, started screaming and ran down the steps toward him. And he thought, oh, this can't be good. And then when she got right to where he felt he was standing and he felt he had a full body presence there, he could look at the phone that was dangling and all the features of being right there, she ran right by him. And this puzzled him. You know, and he turned around and he saw his body on the ground and he says, oh, shit, I'm dead. You know, the awareness came to him. So that graphic narrative to me is the continuation of consciousness, you know, that we can really grasp the fact that our consciousness is our uh, individuality that keeps going. It's not the body which contains it. Mm, Yeah. It's what Jesus came to tell us, right? There is no death. So what do you think these near-death experiences that seem to be more and more, people are talking more freely about them, what are they here to teach us? I think they're here to teach us about love. That That's the whole point why, while we're here is to love each other. And it's non-denominational and unconditional. Wow. And it's wonderful to go to the yearly IANS conferences because you're in with a lot of near-death experiencers who are trying to emulate that into their life here and bring heaven to earth. And so what we're finding in our groups is that people are gravitating to it. You know, we started about three and a half years ago in Tucson, and we'd bring a guest speaker to town once a month, October through May, and then we have a separate meeting for small group for people to share. And they've been growing in popularity. Our largest meeting was Evan Alexander. We had to get a new arena to have the meeting, and over 650 people showed up on a Thursday night. We had to turn something away. That's amazing. Now, uh, one of the things that I think is pretty cool about this phenomenon also is that it's proving that science and spirituality are coming closer to an intersection, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, and it's so encouraging When I was at the last IANS conference in Arlington, Virginia, we had a panel of five doctors, and four of them were near-death experiencers, and the one moderating was a psychiatrist. So it's definitely coming more into mainstream, and they were all talking about how they want to go back and implement it into their practices and try to, you know, help assist uh, other doctors also in bringing it in. Yeah, and how encouraging is that to bring that into our current medical system? (laughs) That would be a miracle, which I love. I love it. I just wanted to mention, too, speaking of, uh, like, medical issues, there's an experiencer. Her name's Natalie Sudman. She lives down here in southern Tucson or in Arizona. But she was in Iraq. She was a civilian contractor, and her convoy vehicle Um, got hit by an IED. And she said when she had crossed over that they were talking about the physical issues that she was going to come back into this body with, but they take it with, or I should say with some humor and much more lightly. So it really gave me a different perspective uh, in life here and what we're trying to accomplish. So I would 
strongly recommend her book to anybody. Uh, it's called Application of Impossible Things, and she's going to be our April speaker in 2014. That's great. And you, is, will this be in Tucson or in at the national conference? This will be in Tucson, and we're going to bring her up to Phoenix. We're going to see if we can have her at the yeah national conference. Awesome. If somebody wants more information about the International Association of Near-Death Studies, where can they find you? At the www.iands.org. And there's okay. a link on there for groups. So if, if you're going for information, there's a lot of material there. Just, you know, it's a wealth of information on the subject. But you can also click on the link for groups and see if there's one in your area. And if you are interested and want to form one, they can be as small as a small gathering in a living room. They don't have to be large, kind of like what we've done here. But any uh, people that are interested in it can get together and, and form a group. Awesome. Awesome. Now maybe you could leave us, one of you guys, whoever feels inspired, with something that each of us can do to sort of access this state of of knowing that you know there's there's more out there that our consciousness goes on that um, love is what we're here to express and be is there is there an exercise or, or a meditation or something you might recommend that we might do to reach those states well i definitely would say that meditation would be one of the ways but it can be any kind of meditation i mean whatever helps people feel really relaxed. I mean, for some people, that could just be a walk out in nature where they just really are feeling in touch with their feelings and, you know, all kinds of life outside of them. Yeah, I'd like to share uh, an experience here that learned something at a very young age. Uh, One of our group leaders was very ill as a young child, uh, say around three years old, and her parents didn't get her medical attention before it became critical and so she had a near-death experience well growing up they had never they were so guilty about not getting her attention sooner that they never would talk about it so she had no confirmation of it but she had the memory of it and she said the one lesson she got from that experience at three that helped her until as an adult she could actually track it down and get the medical records and authenticate what had happened But that lesson she learned at three was the way to resolve any paradox is to adopt a higher perspective. That's pretty powerful for a three-year-old, but it works for anybody. If you think about all the conflict we feel we have because, well, does this jive with that interpretation or is it, you know, have a religious conflict or a scientific conflict when you try to interpret it. Ions has no party line on the interpretation of these experiences. You know, we welcome all respectful points of view. But when there is this sort of unresolvable tension, adopt a higher perspective. And it's amazing how that helps things fall into place. Out of the mouths of babes, right? Well, thank you so much. This has been so interesting, and um, I'm going to read that book and check out the website, and I hope everybody else does too. Thank you, guys. Okay, great. Thank you, Connie. Anybody would like a presentation on near-death experiences, you know, they can contact us. That sounds great. All right, well, thanks. Thank you very much, Connie.